I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey listeners, we have an ask of you. Between reading and rereading resources, reaching out to content experts, and reviewing our material, this podcast takes time, effort, and resources to share it with you every week. We are humbled and grateful for the listener and affiliate interest over the past several months and the scores of messages received letting us know that this podcast has incrementally improved their test prep has been inspiring. Special thanks to the community for engaging and interacting with the show. We want to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, prepares, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. We've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. If pushing pediatrics is a part of your day or week, and you love what we're doing, please visit the link in any of our episode guides and support us any way you can today. Hi guys, welcome back. Today will be our last research-focused episode. Our coverage of this content has been by no means exhaustive, but we hope it has given you some useful tools to begin the hard process of understanding and applying research into your study process. Today, we are going to be discussing appraising research studies of outcome measures. This content correlates with the Linda Fetter's book, Evidence-Based Physical Therapy, linked in our episode guide. Outcome measures are something we use a lot in physical therapy and specifically in pediatrics. I am sure you are exhausted with the sheer volume of outcome measures that you have been learning for this exam. Outcome measures are things like the PD or the 10 meter walk test, basically any characteristic or quality measured to assess a patient's status. There are two categories of outcome measures, questionnaires and performance-based measures. The PD is an example of a questionnaire, and the 10-meter walk test is an example of a performance-based measure. Choosing an appropriate outcome measure for your patient is critical to understanding their current status and progress over time. It will also be critical to understand the appropriate measure if you want to get an answer correct on the exam. To be useful in the clinic, the outcome measure needs to have high-quality psychometric properties and be applicable to your patient. 
Psychometric properties are the intrinsic properties of an outcome measure, and they include reliability, validity, and clinical meaningfulness. We will be looking at reliability, validity, and clinical meaningfulness throughout this episode. Let's tackle reliability first. We have mentioned reliability in our previous episodes, and we went through the statistical methods for analysis of reliability. Tests like Spearman's Row, Kendall's Tau. And remember, with these, you need to know what kind of data you are working with in order to choose the correct method. There are four types of reliability, internal consistency, test-retest reliability, intra-rater reliability, and inter-rater reliability. Internal consistency establishes the extent to which multiple items within the outcome measure reflect the same construct. It is about the outcome measure. Cronbach's alpha is a common statistical test to assess this. Ranges of Cronbach's alpha are zero to one. Zero meaning that the items do not correlate with each other and scores close to one indicating that the items correlate and demonstrate a high internal consistency. The book states an interesting fact here that scores really close to one actually show that the test may be a little bit redundant. Ideally, numbers between 0.7 and 0.9 show good internal consistency without redundancy. Moving on to another component of reliability, test-retest reliability. This establishes the extent to which an outcome measure produces the same result when repeatedly applied to a patient who has not changed. We've already discussed inter- and intra-rater reliability in our previous two research episodes, so make sure to listen to those if you still need clarification. In episode 25, we also discussed the common statistical methods that can be used for making comparisons of test-retest, intra-rater reliability, and inter-rater reliability, like the ICC, Spearman's Row, and Kappa. We need to know the reliability of a study of an outcome measure because this helps us decide if it is good for use in our clinical practice. Make sure you are familiar with the interpretation of each of the above methods, the type of data, and examples of data types. You need to have a really solid foundation of these numbers. Questions on an exam could be laid out in so many different ways. They may ask which test would be appropriate, they may ask how to interpret a value and make a determination of what that means for the outcome measure. The more confident you are with these definitions and numbers, the more confident you will be with the test. But also, this will make you an excellent consumer of research and therefore a better clinician. Moving on to validity. This is the ability of an outcome measure to measure the characteristic or feature that it is intended to measure. Content validity, criterion validity, and construct validity are the three types of validity. Content validity establishes that an outcome measure includes all the characteristics that it says it measures. This is usually determined by an expert panel. Criterion validity establishes the validity of an outcome measure by comparing it to another more established measure. You can do this by comparing to a gold standard, this is usually a measure that has irrefutable evidence for measuring the characteristic of interest or a reference standard, which is less refutable but still considered a reasonable form for comparison. Finally, construct validity establishes the ability of an outcome measure to assess an abstract characteristic or concept. This is a little bit more abstract and beyond the scope of this podcast, but the bottom line is, do you have confidence that the outcome measure has validity? 
Now we are going to get into what we think is the meat of this episode, clinical meaningfulness. This refers to an outcome measure's ability to provide the clinician and the patient with consequential information. What does an improvement mean for the patient? To have clinical meaningfulness, outcome measures must first be reliable and valid. We just talked about this. Concepts related to clinical meaningfulness are things like floor and ceiling effects, minimal detectable change, responsiveness, and minimal clinically important difference. Floor and ceiling effects reflect a lack of sufficient range in the measure to fully characterize a group of patients. It is important to look for these when appraising studies. You can do this by looking through the distribution of patient scores on an outcome measure. If a lot of participants had minimum or maximum scores, this may reflect some floor or ceiling limitations. Minimal detectable change is the minimum amount of change required on an outcome measure to exceed anticipated measurement error and variability. The number is important in helping us to determine how much change is needed to exceed the neutral ebb and flow on a test. This represents true change in status. The minimal detectable change for an outcome measure must be determined for different populations using a high quality test retest reliability study. There may be a different minimal detectable change on a six-minute walk test for a child with cystic fibrosis versus a child with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Responsiveness reflects an outcome measure's ability to detect change over time, and one big measure of this is minimal clinically important difference. This is the amount of change that you need to see on an outcome measure to be meaningful and noticeable to the patient. This is not the same as statistical significance. There can be, and often is, statistical difference in a study without clinical meaningfulness. Meaningfulness is defined from a patient perspective. When looking at studies regarding minimal detectable change and clinical meaningfulness, we want to make sure they are reporting a confidence interval. We need to see that change is larger than natural variation. Make sure you are familiar with confidence intervals, how to use them, and how to interpret them. It may be important when answering questions, and it is definitely an area that trips people up. That wraps up this week's episode in our content with research focus. We know this is a challenging area, and we hope we have cleared up a few key components. We know we haven't covered everything, but we tried to pick out some key concepts and concepts we see a lot in the pediatric population. We again recommend the evidence-based physical therapy book if you want more. There is a lot of useful content in this book. Even outside of the exam, this is a great book to help you become a better consumer of research and thus a better evidence-based clinician. We will see you back on Friday for more case files. Until then, happy studying. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got this.